Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Martin O'Neill came into Celtic Park amidst a blaze of publicity in the summer of 2000 and stated, quote-unquote, I will do everything in my power to bring success to this football club. Five years, three league titles, two Scottish Cups and two League Cups later, it's without question that he achieved exactly that. And to the bargain, he also restored our credibility in Europe during an era which took us all the way to the FA Cup final and gave us memories which so many of us will never forget. Martin was on a rare visit back to Glasgow to speak of his new book on days like this and took some time to sit with us at the Celtic Exchange to share some very special memories of a life in football. Enjoy this interview with one of the most important characters in the modern history of Celtic. Martin, thanks for joining us here on the Celtic Exchange this afternoon. I know it's a busy time for you back in Glasgow, I'm sure it always is. Is it nice to be back in the city? It is, really. Uh, yeah, recognise it, which is good for a start. Strangely enough, you know, I probably wasn't in the city centre that often. You know, first year I came up here, I think I was a wee bit concerned because one of my daughters was going to be leaving school and going to a different school. And I was a wee bit worried in case the results might not go the right way and she might take a little bit of stick at school. So we went over to Edinburgh in that direction, spent a year in rented accommodation. But after that, my daughter said, listen, Dad, we're fine. We're really great. I can take the train back and forward. Why don't we buy a house in um, Glasgow, which is what we did over in the West End. And it was just genuinely magical time. Mm -hmm. I know I've said this before, it's worth saying again, my wife, who doesn't like any place on earth, I think, Absolutely adored Glasgow. Yeah. Loads of fond memories over the, the five years or so here at Celtic. So what we'll do, Martin, obviously we're here talking about your first book. Is it the first of many or, or just the... It's the first. The first. <laughs> the first and perhaps only. Yeah. So Martin's book on days like this, My Life in Football. And if you don't mind, Martin, in the same way as you've done with the book, what I'll do here this afternoon is split our conversation into two sections. Martin O'Neill, the player, first of all, and then Martin O'Neill, the manager. Um, so before we get to, to Notts Forest and a, a place where you spent 10 years of your career, I want to take you back briefly to your time at Distillery Football Club in Belfast. Man Manager Jimmy McAlinden takes a real shine to you and you got to score two goals in a 3-0 win in the Irish Cup final over your hometown team Derry City. Mm -hmm. Mi mixed emotions there I'm sure. A result which then takes you into the Cup Winners Cup and a game against Barcelona no less. Despite losing the first leg you score against them in a 3-1 defeat. It's your first taste of what would become a life of European football. Martin what was that experience like you know playing against Barca going to the new Camp and did it whet your appetite for the numerous European nights that would follow throughout your career? 
Yeah, well, a couple of ironies along the way, really, because for five years I'd been a boarder at a, a school in Derry City called St. Columns. And um, obviously a lot of, lot of day boys went to the school. In my class uh, was a player called Raymond White or a young lad called Raymond White, very, very clever man. He was playing for Derry City, believe it or not, against me in this in the Irish Cup final. And so was another lad called Declan McDowell. So um, that was really strange to be pl- actually playing against them when I had spent most of my time playing college football with them. So we win the game and uh, as a consequence, we get into play Barcelona in, uh, in a few months' time in what was known then as the European Cup Winners' Cup. So playing against Barcelona, I think that I want to use about 12 words to describe it, I think, in the book. So I've been told, actually, the goal became really important for me because, one, it was against Barcelona. Two, I was nearly going to use the word catapulted. I think that's a wee bit too strong. It certainly, certainly brought me into um, into focus. I think more with uh, more with uh, the British press at that time. I'm not saying that they were, you know, that were, they had every single journalist over covering this game, which yep. they didn't have. But it got a little bit of traction, I think, in England as much as anything else. And therefore, a couple of weeks later. I get into the Northern Ireland team. A couple of players, for injury or whatever reason, didn't turn up. And instead of the manager, Terry Neal, going to get replacements in England again, which he was entitled to do, he decided to take a chance with me playing for distillery and uh, being a student at Queen's University. So anyway, long and the short of it, it was a great experience to be with the Northern Ireland squad for a couple of days. I get on and for the last 20 minutes against Russia at Windsor Park, never get a kick, didn't really matter. And Matt Gillies, who was the manager of Nottingham Forest at the time, was over at the game and he takes a chance of me the following week for £15,000. So that's that's how it came about. But distillery with those players, you know, both Catholic and Protestant in the side, mm-hmm. was a terrific experience. And you just mentioned Jimmy Michael Linden, who without his belief in me, I think at this early stage, I think things could have gone, uh, it could have gone downhill pretty quickly. Yeah, it's obviously a, a big early influence on you. Must have been a great feeling to walk back into uni after scoring against Barca and, and represent your country as well. So uh, that's true. That was absolutely yeah. true. You know, walked into the students' union, you know, and I actually got a clap from about uh, three or four of the lads. Yeah, a couple of feet taller. So you talk about that that journey with Jimmy McIlwain across from Belfast to to Nottingham, twentieth uh, of October, nineteen seventy one. You've you've you know, remarked about it as being a, a day you'll never forget as you head across to sign for Nottingham Forest. It's a place, as I mentioned, you'll spend 10 years as a player, winning a first division title, two league cups, two European cups and, and various other pieces of silverware. But it's not until 1975 that Brian Clough arrives at the club, a man who you say changed your life forever. There's not enough words to describe Clough, I don't think, in the, the English mm-hmm. language, but words like maverick, enigmatic, genius are a few that have been used over the years. But what was it about him, Martin, for you that made him just so special? Well, first of all, he was he was coming uh, he was coming into us a couple of months after he'd been sacked at Leeds United. Now he was he was charismatic. I mean, I, that, that's almost doing him a disfavour, really, in many aspects. He he had everything. I remember in, the, in those days as well too. There weren't that many channels on television, and he was appearing on Michael Parkinson's show about you know about every six or seven weeks. You know, he was so good. I think that that was actually annoying uh, the um, the chairman at Derby County. Long and the short of it, Brian Clough used to resign every single week at uh, at Derby. And one particular week, the chairman said, OK, fine, I'm taking it. So it came as a real surprise to Clough, I must admit, and Taylor. And anyway, they headed out of Derby. They went down to Brighton together. 
Um, Brighton, it's a lovely place, I must admit, but it was that Brighton was not the place that Brian Clough should have been. Anyway, he goes to Leeds United for 44 days. There wasn't a prayer of that ever working, not a prayer. First of all, he called them cheats. He said they, they should throw their medals in the bin yeah. because they, they had won them dishonourably, which is incredible, really. Can you imagine telling Johnny Giles and Billy Bremner that they've actually cheated? Leeds United were by a million miles the best side in the, in the country at the time with the best players. And um, that was never going to work. It obviously knocked them back a little bit. Um, I remember t- speaking to John O'Hare, um, who has, was with him at, uh, at Derby, and uh, Brian Clough took him to Leeds United in that short time he was there. And he said that uh, he saw a different man, a man devoid of confidence, which you wouldn't ever believe about Brian Clough. But he arrives with us. We're a two-bit side, probably going nowhere. Well, that's what that, that's how Clough described us anyway. And so he, he comes in. He is mesmeric. He is, he is everything that you think you thought you saw on television and more. And he was just, it was the way he spoke to you as much as anything else. And the way he, his language, it, I'm not saying that he was... Um, a wordsmith, actually far from it, but it was his tone of voice, it was the way he spoke. Uh, he was just, he was just. it was one of those feelings that you just felt as if you had to play for him. You were just um, quoting his praise if you could get it. You were desperate for, for, for him to say, well done, son. But he definitely changed their lives, there's no question about that, even from day one. Despite the fact that the next 14 or 15, 16 months before his sidekick, Peter Taylor, arrived, we weren't actually moving that far. But you just felt the minute that Taylor arrived with him, a new man developed again. Coffee regained absolutely everything that they had had. And um, Peter Taylor was actually brilliant for Brian Clough. And uh, and so from that minute onwards, you know, if you were as, as you know, you're on this sort of carousel ride and you you got to stay there with it. So by hook or by crook, I stayed there for that length of time. I think probably more by hook than anything else. But anyway, it was uh, it was fantastic, and uh, he was um, he was actually you know a footballing genius. I think I'm right to say, Martin, you're one of the few players that went on the the full journey with Clough from mm-hmm. when he came in when yeah. Forest were in the old second division, won promotion, won the first division the next year, went on to win back to back European cups, and huge 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 success. There's a line you use which I'd like to read out if you don't mind. It comes at half time in the dressing room of the Santiago Bernabeu mm-hmm. in the final of the 1980 European Cup. He tells you you're doing brilliantly during that half-time team talk and in the book you reflect on that with the following. I'm not expecting such high praise to come in my direction. All these years I've searched for his approval and he waits until half-time in the European Cup final to give it. I have validation at last. What was it that made you seek out that approval from, from Clough for so long? I think I think really it was his it was his personality, it was his own own ability. Remember, he came to Nottingham Forest, right, he, he might have had a tough time at Leeds United but that that really didn't dis, uh, diminish his personality in any aspect. You know, you knew that something inside there was still wait, waiting to to boil over again. But he had been successful at Derby County. Uh, they they had won the league title and they were in the semi final of the European Cup. And I think actually that um, you know there was um, there was talk about uh, things not not being proper in the game against Juventus. Mm. So in the semi-final, so he had been successful. So for him to arrive at, uh, as I said, at our particular club was a, a massive coup for us. But you're talking about that um, to try and get that, you know, the validation all the, t- the whole time. You're kind of seeking it out, and I had I had many a many an up and down with him. You know, I, I used to joke and say it was 
concerning my ability. I used to think I was brilliant and he wasn't so sure. But uh, I suppose when the likes of my playing partners, like John Robertson, John used to get uh, almost infinite praise all the time. And, and deservedly so. But I used to think, well, maybe maybe they might pass this along in my direction. It might help. It might encourage me. But um, So I can remember the times that I got this praise in front of the rest of the players, maybe about four or five times. And uh, and one happened to be in the European Cup finals. So sudden. But what it did do, it gave you a surge of energy that was incredible. We were feeling, we'd scored the goal, we were leading at half time in the match, but slowly but surely Hamburg were getting the upper hand in the, in the match. And we were feeling a little bit tired. And so suddenly for him to come into the dressing room and say, you're doing brilliantly, son. It was, it was seriously, it was like a, a surge of energy that goes through you. You thought, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go again, you know. Yeah. And that's the sort of feeling that he gave, not just to me, but to everyone. Every one of us all sought his approval. Yeah. Just a final point on that and, and on Brian Clough in general. Do you still feel, Martin, and this isn't from anything in the book, but do you still feel that you perhaps still sought that approval beyond your playing days under uh, under Clough? Was it something that even in later days you were keen for him to see how well you were then doing as a manager? Uh, that's a really good point. Uh, yeah, I, I probably haven't really thought about it, although I did meet him uh, a few times, in fact. Uh, one where um, when I was at Leicester City, we got to the final of the League Cup and um, he had retired from the game. Health-wise, I don't think he was all that fantastic. But I thought this was an opportunity and particularly because he loved John Robertson. And I always felt as if, well, if I, if I invite him and, put, and include John's name in it, he'll, <laughs> he'll certainly come along. So we invited him to a League Cup final and he was sat around the table, including my wife and my daughters. And my wife told me afterwards he was just fantastic. He yeah. stole the show, as you would expect. But he was really good, really, really good for the, for the day. And I was really pleased that he came down for the match. So I can't, I can't say that, uh, you know, I, I spent lots and lots of time uh, thinking about, uh, about him. But obviously, moments that, um, of reflection, you think, well, um, listen, I suppose, you know, in, in terms of management, then you started to realise, when you became a manager, you started to realise what he was actually going through at the time. Less so as a player, because you're, you're selfish, you want to know well, you want to know on two things as a player. I used to always say this, are you in the team and are you getting paid? You know, I suppose. So, but as a manager, you look at it from a different perspective. You're, you're, you're dealing with a group of players and somebody could come in with some sort of problem and talk to you, generally speaking, about why they weren't in the team. And yes, so I could, I, I had a better understanding when I was a manager of what he had actually been going through as a manager himself. Yeah. So you, of course, go on to win that European Cup final against Kevin Keegan's Hamburg with your great friend and View Parkman, John Robertson, scoring the only goal. Your time at Forest, as I mentioned, so you is one of the few players to go on that full journey with Brian Clough. But at that time, you know, as a player during all those glory days, did you ever consider that a life in management would be for you beyond football? No, not really. I, d- I didn't... Um I remember Brian Clough actually, oh, he, he came in one day, we had, a, we had a team meeting and I don't know, he was wearing his old green, uh, his green sweatshirt. He looked, I, I mean, this was, this would have been, this would have been after training and we hadn't seen him in the morning. And I can, I can only imagine that he must have held some sort of um, a board meeting or something like this here, whatever it was, whatever was bothering them or something bothering him. So he comes in, he wipes his brow um, goes over and gets um, um, and gets um, a, a, a glass or something, a tea or whatever the case may be. And then he said to us, 
any of you lot, which you used to always say, any of you lot ever think about management? He said, don't. He said, because the only inevitability about this job is you'll get the sack. And he said this, and when he said it that morning, he was probably the most unsackable manager in Europe at the time. So he'd obviously must have had a tough time mm-hmm. digging, out, uh, uh, digging out a couple of the board members, I think, yeah. more than anything else. But you're talking about myself, about management. Didn't really enter my head at all, not even the latter stages of my playing career. In fact, pro- I once had a conversation with Billy Bingham. He thought, I, thought of, I thought about it, but then it didn't really, uh, yeah, it didn't gather much traction at the time. Then amazingly... I meet Peter Taylor. Uh, Peter's uh, retired from the game. He and Brian Clough had fallen out over a big incident, including John Robertson in it at the time. And they never really made up, which was actually quite sad because their uh, partnership together was extraordinary. And uh, so I met uh, Peter Taylor. I didn't really want to meet him. I was trying to avoid him. I could see him coming. And he was another one who didn't really give me that much praise as a player. And I saw him coming towards me, tried to duck out of the way. And this shop, I don't know, was somewhere in Nottingham. And he said, um, hey, you, he said to me, he, and I hadn't seen him for about five years. He said, uh, you disappoint me. And I said, he said, I thought you would have gone into management. So it's actually kind of a compliment mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a fashion. And um, he said, you had the two best teachers, Brian and myself. He said, but I'm really disappointed in you. And I, really, when I leave the conversation with him, I start, really started to think about it. And by the time I got home, I thought, yeah, okay. And almost that evening, any job that was becoming available, I was in doing my handwritten notes to the uh, possible bosses of a, of a new club. Anyways, it turns out most of the time I never got an, a reply back. But even so, he was the first one really to make me think about management. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And am I right in saying, did you keep some sort of diary during your early days at Forest? Was that something that, that you've mentioned in the book and... Did you consider yourself perhaps a, a deeper thinker than maybe some of your teammates at that time? No, uh, no I, <laughs> I did not think myself as a deeper thinker. Absolutely not. No, I wouldn't have the ability to uh, think deeply. Yes, what I normally did, and I suppose this was probably from really from school days, I would get buy a diary for Christmas every single year and set out 1st of January, 2nd of January, and by the 4th of January I'd given it up. Mm-hmm. And really every year. But in 1972, and it was my first year at Nottingham Forest as a player, I'd come, uh, I'd come the, uh, the previous October, I thought I'm going to really stick religiously to this. And I kept it going for probably a couple of months. And I came across it um, a few years ago. And honestly, it's so puerile. It's on, <laughs> really untrue. I'd love to see it. I, it is desperate. You don't want to <laughs> see it, honestly. I've got a granddaughter now who will be four in February. And seriously... 
she would laugh at this stuff, you know, <laughs> and she would she would be writing better stuff. It was you know pathetic stuff like from a, from must, a, from must a published do, author, no less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of must do better. Blamed. I'm, I'm typical of me. Blamed everybody, you know. <laughs> manager, why is he not picking me in the side, you know? And yeah. well, there's probably a really good reason because you've been rubbish the last three weeks. It was very much like that there. But it, do you know what it did do? It give, But I was more interested really in uh, who was in the charts at the time. So it's actually, I've got about three or four lines about about my, my footballing time and the rest about who's who's moving up the charts with uh, like Bad Fingers, a really, really good song at the time. Nielsen Without You, which was actually written by the two lads from Bad Finger as well too. Mm-hmm. So all of this news. So I was I was more interested in uh, in the music scene than I was in my, my football, which... You know, actually, considering this was my career, I should have been the other way around. <laughs> Maybe so. There's lots of musical references, actually, Martin. Um, one that stood out to me is when you mentioned that, tragically, Joe Dolce's Shut Up of Your Face oh. is number one instead of his Ultravox at the Absolutely, time. Vienna. Yeah, Vienna. absolutely. How could that be? I mean, Tragedy. And I said, absolutely. I said, there's nothing fair in the world after that, you know. The reason that one stands out for me is because February 81, was when I was born. So, and that oh, was, is that right? Joe Dolce was number one when I was born, so it stood no, out for me. No, you're kidding. That line. Oh, very good. Um, but anyway, very good. enough music, let's move back to football. So after leaving the city ground as a player in 1981, you've got spells with Norwich, Man City, back to Norwich, I think, and then even Notts mm-hmm. County. Um, and it's a county where a knee injury sustained in February 85 brings to an end your playing days. As you mentioned, you then write to a number of clubs and no replies mm-hmm. or, or some Dear John letters come back in the post, but you eventually... After coming through the, the non-league route, you have great days at Wickham Wanderers. I think still at time of recording their most successful manager ever. You win two FA trophies and get them into the Football League for the very first time in their history. A brief spell at Norwich then follows, but it's Leicester where you really make your mark in the top flight. Winning promotion at the Premiership as well as two league cups. But Celtic then come calling in summer of 2000. Can you tell us first of all how that came to be? It was the summer of um, of 2000. Leicester had just won the, the League Cup. We were back in Europe again and we'd finished in the top 10. And I was really enjoying my time at Leicester, genuinely enjoying it after, you know, pretty torrid opening. Life was really good and I'd won over the fans and it was excellent. And then I get, I'm, I'm travelling down the road, I get, uh, I get a call on a mobile phone. I remember the mobile phones in those days, you know, about a foot and a half long. So, and it was Sir Alex Ferguson on the phone saying that... Um, would I have any interest in in managing Celtic? And I said, absolutely. And uh, he said, because he was very friendly with Dermot Desmond. Dermot Desmond had asked Alex who would he recommend. And uh, Sir Alex recommended about three people. And Dermot, of the three uh, that he'd recommended, including myself, uh, Dermot went for me. It was, certainly went in terms of an interview. So he said, would you take a call from Dermot in uh, about half an hour's time? I said, absolutely. So I'm still still travelling. And uh, Dermot calls, would I meet him on the board uh, the following night in London? That I did. And uh, for the first time ever, I must have done all right in the in an interview stage. And, and I get the job. And um, so coming up to Celtic, to sign for Celtic at the time was just uh, extraordinary. Never forget, you know, that that evening when everything had all died down and even the crowd outside had dispersed. And still a moment or two to think about it. So... A race up to the very top of the Jock Steen stand, just have a look at the empty stadium and you think, wow, oh, this is this is something really special. And I know, I know it sounds rather sycophantic now, but it wasn't meant to be. And uh, you thought it would be nice. Now, obviously, the stadium had changed greatly from Jock Steen's days. But, um, and I remember that um, 
the old truck coming in, you know, when they just won the European Cup. So those th- those thoughts and that, you know, trying to pick your where where that um, where that old truck would have pulled into, you know, and, yeah. and the track around it. But the uh, the stadium at Sally Park was just pretty special. The section of the book on Celtic starts with a, a really amazing quote from the barber, mm-hmm. no less. Yeah. So for all those who don't know, the barber is Martin's dad, Leo. That was uh, the nickname in the town. If you ever get a chance to play for Celtic, son, take it immediately and don't even stop to think. Now, you mentioned that Celtic scouted you briefly, I think, during your playing days at Distillery, but but that wasn't to be. Coming from your background, Martin, in in Northern Ireland, what was the sense of pride like for you, your dad, your family, when you finally got the chance to make a mark on Celtic's history? Well, it's it's funny, really, because my father was a barber in in Kilray, and um, obviously from our background, Irish nationalist Catholic. But even so, a a lot of Protestants came to him as well, too, because my father had a very, very open mind, uh, really. Interestingly, and I say this, sometimes uh, Celtic players would come to Northern Ireland for their holidays, their summer holidays in Port Stewart and Port Rush, which is only about 20 miles away. And sometimes there were, in those days, there was little um, little seven-a-side competitions or five-a-side competitions as well too. And some of the Celtic players would play in these competitions. So, and one or two, uh, way back in the in the 50s, come in and got their hair cut with, with my father. So not that, that not that my father needed that there, you know, mm-hmm. to, to be a, to be a Celtic fan, but he was. And he also had a massively big picture of the uh, Busby Babes as well on the, in, the, in the barbershop window, which I eventually took down. I'm sorry, now I, <laughs> I lost it, but it was yeah. a really amazing picture. And even though he had been one of the co-founders of the um, the Gaelic the, the Gaelic team in um, in Kilray, he really did have a really open mind. But anyway, his thoughts were on Celtic and that. As I was growing up and starting to show a little bit of a bit of um, ability, my father used to think that it would be great to play for for Celtic. When I was at Distillery, a Celtic scout did come over to the game. Um, I was must have been really poor, and uh, and got overlooked. And um, I remember meeting the great Jock Steen quite some years later. I was at Nottingham Forest at the time and um, we met in Ireland. He was over to present some prizes and a thing during the summer. And I met him and um, and he was really gracious, overly gracious, really, when I mentioned that uh, mustn't have played too well. He wouldn't have remembered, you know, wouldn't have known. The, the scouts were going out to watch loads and loads of players. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just said, I'm, I'm afraid I didn't play well that day because the local paper had mentioned that there was a Celtic scout coming that day. Whether that scout turned up or not, I don't know, but I, th- I think he did. And and I'd certainly, I remember that day anyway, because I'd scored twice in the first seven minutes and then never got a kick after that. Never <laughs> got a kick. Maybe they were 15 minutes late and missed your I seven abs- minutes. I, I, yes, I hadn't even thought about that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what could have been? So as I say, you come in the door at Celtic Park as manager in summer 2000 and first task is overcoming a 20-point lead uh, or a 20-point margin that Rangers had won the league by in the previous season. You managed to overcome that and then some by winning a treble in your first season at Celtic. This includes a 6-2 hammer of Rangers in your first old firm game and numerous big displays from guys like Henrik Larsson, Chris Sutton, Paul Lambert, Stelian Petrov and Neil Lennon. And all those players and others captained the club at some point or other during their time at Celtic and many have then gone on to become manager. Do you feel, Martin, it was really important for you to, to ensure you had leaders throughout your team and Aside from the obvious candidates in terms of Larson and Sutton, for example, are there any unsung heroes from your time at the club that are maybe lesser spoken of? Uh, yeah, a, a couple of points there. First of all, Mark Viduka uh, wanted to leave the football club, a very, very fine, talented player. He wanted to leave in that summer of 2000 and uh, I tried to persuade him for a phone call that I had with him uh, to stay, but he had made his mind up. 
So there was an offer from Leeds United in for six million pounds. We turned them over the, the money over to Chris Sutton. And even though I don't give Chris the credit in the book that he deserves, uh, he was a genuine landscape changer for us. Let me put it this way now, when I think about it, if he had not arrived at the time, if let's say he'd arrived about five or six weeks later after the old firm game, we may not have won that match mm -hmm. and things might have been different. And he came in at the time, he had a point to prove, I think, himself. You know, he had been brilliant at, at Blackburn Rovers along with Alan Shear and uh, then n not so great at, at, um, at, at Chelsea. Point to prove, wanting to do it, probably wanting to get out of London as much as anything else. But his, his partnership with Henrik Larsson was absolutely a, a proper force, really. And then I was able to add some players as well to Didier Gat came in for £50,000. Alan Thompson did brilliantly for two and a half. Josval Garen came in, changing Johan Malby from a centre midfield player to a, to a centre back, all of those things. But if you're asking about someone that I felt was, um, that I felt really now was a really good player, it took me a little bit of time to realise how good a player he was. And I don't know why this did, because I'm generally a half reasonable judge of a player. It was Jackie McNamara. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. McNamara, baby-faced assassin, you know, could stick the, the shoe, <laughs> I keep saying the, the shoe in, that's an old Irish phrase, I must admit. McNamara, brave, brave, brave lad, scared of nothing, absolutely nothing, could play right back, could play right side midfield, could play centre midfield if he wanted to as well too. And perhaps maybe sometimes a, a, a line that Ian Boyer of Nottingham Forest used to say, when Ian could play a number of positions, he said then when everybody's fit, he's generally the one that's left out. And maybe that there might have been there might have been an element of that. I, hopefully it's not, but it took me a little bit of time. But McNamara was um, was really a terrific player and underrated. And and if he was underrated at the time at, at Celtic, that's maybe as much my fault as anything else. But the more I think about it, the more I thought, uh, well, I've since apologised to him profusely a number of times whether he's accepted or not, but he was terrific, absolutely yeah. terrific player. And also went on a, to be a manager, had good success at Dundee United and then maybe some mixed success elsewhere. I, I've mentioned that group of players, Henrik Larson's been a manager, mixed success, Sutton, not so much at Lincoln, mm. Lambert, very successful. And of course, Neil Lennon, and you do speak lonely about Neil in the book and the pivotal part he played across your career, both at Leicester and when he joined you up at Celtic. Was he someone you always felt was... Of course, a natural leader, but someone that may go into success in management. Well, you mentioned a couple of points, sorry, and and and, and uh, I, I didn't cover one. And you were talking about did you sign uh, did you sign leaders? The bigger the personality, the the better for me. I, I I felt this. Like for instance, Paul Lambert was at the football club. Paul was very influential in the dressing room. Really influential. Really good footballer. I, again, perhaps maybe sometimes underestimated as well. Good strong influence and good strong positive in, influence. Even when maybe uh, occasionally maybe not. And not on the side, probably as much to do with his age as anything else. Uh, Maravchik was a sensational footballer, two, best two-footed player I've ever, ever worked with. And um, and I wish he had been 27. Uh, if he had been 27 when I arrived at the football club, I honestly think that we would be, we would be toasting Seville as a victory. That's my point. But you talk about Neil Lennon. Lennon was, uh, Lennon was, was everything that you would want. I signed him twice. I signed him from uh, Crew Alexander to Leicester City, where he did everything for us. A proper leader, and he was very seldom captain at, at both Leicester and at Celtic for me. But in many aspects, he took on that mantle, and really in the dressing room as much as anything else. And I said this in a, a joking fashion: the first five minutes in the dressing room at half time was 
generally separating him and Bobo Baldy and people like this. So the bigger the character, I didn't mind. I felt as if I could handle these players. It wouldn't, it didn't really matter. John Hartson came in in my second year, big character as well. So really, you know, I had enough confidence in myself to be able to deal with these people, even even if they put up a some sort of an argument on, on uh, during the course of the game. And uh, Lenny would put up a number of arguments at the time. I'd have to just tell him to keep quiet for a moment or two, you know. But, um, yeah, it didn't, it genuinely didn't bother me at all. And the bigger the character, I felt as if that they could, they could deal with situations on the pitch then better, as long as they had my backing behind them, which I think for most of the time I did. Well, actually all of the time. Yeah. You mentioned that Jimmy McLinden at the salary he wasn't averse to the players having a bit of a dust up and, and sorting things out amongst himself on a semi-frequent basis. I was going to say without naming names. Name names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was that something that, that would happen from time to time with such big characters in a Celtic dressing room? Uh, g- genuinely, yeah. I was. Uh, uh, you thought I was joking there a moment or two ago. Not at all. The, absolutely. The, the players, particularly if things were not going well, you know, half-time could be... Uh, it could be really a sorting out, but the, the time that you start to talk even remotely tactical about the game, it was actually sorting out, a, a, well, certainly a angry moments, you know. And sometimes, uh, like Stillian Petra was a very young lad, very, very young, and I took a big liking to Stillian, you know. thought he was a terrific footballer, and uh, because he was young sometimes, I felt early on, before he really looked after himself, that he um, that he might be picked upon, you know. So I was always trying to defend him all the time. I, I, I that was the one thing I couldn't have is that a big player is trying to pick on somebody a bit younger because they think that they could uh, they could win the argument over. So I always took the side of the the underdog until that underdog became the the, the big player himself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Neil Lennon would be generally having a go at something at at half time, you know. And uh, it was a matter of just trying to separate that. You wouldn't really want to get into an argument with Bobo Baldy too often, you know, really, because Bobo didn't say that much. But when he did speak in, the, in staccato language, you know, you you <laughs> you had to listen to. Yeah. And uh, Henrik probably not so much, but well, Henrik would have a say as well too. And um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yes, he would. He would have a say occasionally. Sometimes I disagreed with him. <laughs> Sometimes. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So going back to that that first season, Martin, the, the treble season, aside from the six tour result, obviously that's the kind of standout moment for so many fans and a, a dawning on Celtic fans who, out with the success in 1998, had gone through about 10 years of, mm-hmm. of torture, more or less. And we obviously seen that as such a huge moment and potentially a big turning point. But was there any other pivotal moments or games within that season where you yourself knew that the team were onto something special? I, I do mention in the book where, you know, that was the game... The big 6-2 game was fantastic. 
And the more I think about it now, and the, or the more that Celtic fans of that vintage tell me about it, yeah, it was a it it was a really big moment for me. Winning the game was great because it gave us confidence to you know to take on the rest of the season. And by the time that um, that Rangers turned us over big time at in November at Ibrox, they were just they were too powerful for us. They were too strong. They were aggressive, and they scored from set pieces. And they were just they, they honestly they they bullied us all afternoon. But even so, and then a couple of days later, we only draw against Hibs as well. So we've now dropped five five points. And we picked up the one point from the two games. And you could think then maybe that the wheels might come off at that stage. But I genuinely felt there was enough confidence about the team to you know gather ourselves together again and, and kick on. And we really did kick on. I think uh, from the next game, I think we're a goal behind. Crowd really, really rose to the to the occasion that day, and I think uh, Lubo scored an equaliser, and we carried on. If that game had gone again, and maybe maybe even dropped point, points at Celtic Park, it might have been a long way back. So those things are pivotal during the course of the the time. Don't seem to be at that particular stage, but the more you look back on them. But by the time that um, by the time that Christmas had come up in that season, we were really on a roll. You know, we felt genuinely felt invincible. Yeah. In the following season, so domestic success, absolutely winning a treble in your first year. The first treble since 1969 under yeah, Dirk Yeah, it's Dean, amazing that. Unbelievable stat. Um, but the following season, we're back in Europe competing to, to take a place in the Champions League for the first time and managed to beat European big hitters Ajax. So we win 3-1 away from home. Did a huge game for him. Mm-hmm. Bobby Petter, Chris Sutton, brilliant goals. Win 3-1 there. And I think we lose 1-0 back at Celtic yeah. Park, but we're okay and we make it through to the group stages. And was it at this stage, Martin, that you ri- realised that this team maybe had something more than just domestic success in front of them? I think that um, I think the game in Ajax where we were really terrific and I, I think we surprised Ajax that that particular night and the second game as you mentioned um, we were nervous gosh that's, that, that was just the manager and uh, and I think it was just because we were we had been so brilliant at, uh, at, uh, in Amsterdam if we lose this here this would this would be desperate so we were very nervous during the course of the match and just to see the game through was uh, was was good enough then we we're in the groups. Uh, sorry, we we're, uh, we're into the Champions League proper. I think the first game, the first game that we were down, we were going to be playing at home, but but nine eleven had happened at that stage, you know, and uh, so there was postponements. So our first game was actually in the Stadio dell'Alpe, I think it was for uh, against Juventus, two 0 down. I think we got back to two two. We conceded a penalty in the last minute, which is just ridiculous, really ridiculous. And even that point would have been enough for us to go through in the group. And you never know. When you're into the knockout stages, who knows? But um, to get nine points in the group that that, that time and, and not come out of the group was really disappointing. But yeah, I started to think that, you know, that European football is where Celtic are going to be judged at. You know, that the old firm are judged in European football as much as anything else. And because of the great success of way back under Jock Steen and everything else, you know, you, you um, try and align yourself alongside that there or try and very, very difficult. But um, that's what you should be aiming for all the time. But I felt that we had a side capable of dealing, dealing with European football. They're still, they were still pretty young. They're still naive in many aspects. But I never really wanted to use that as an excuse. And I never, I never thought that. Never for one minute did I ever say to the players, "Oh, next year will be better. We'll be better next year." No, it was for the moment. You've got to live for that moment. And you can't. Next year might be totally different. Might you know? You you might not even be as good. 
So every moment was the one that you you pick it up from that and 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 you go with it and you deal with it that that particular evening. It doesn't matter. You're competing against some of the best sides in Europe, but that doesn't matter. You are good. You're really good yourselves, and you've got to believe in it. And uh, and I think that was, I think that was the sort of message you tried to convey to the players. But sometimes I don't even think that they that they needed that message. I think they started to really believe in themselves. Yeah. And the following year, so after the first Champions League campaign, the following year we fall short uh, against FC Ball of Switzerland. Big disappointment. But I believe you mentioned that Stylian Petrov's the man in the dressing room that after the disappointment starting to to lift from the players mm-hmm. he says we'll just need to go and win this UEFA Cup now and that's galvanised the team and, and we obviously got so close to doing so Seville May 2003 I don't need to get into the finer details of the game itself and what played out but certainly a special but also a bittersweet moment for Celtic and their supporters that night in the book you mentioned some of the big disappointments in your sporting career Martin this includes losing with St Malachy's in the final <laughs> of the, the Hogan Cup at Croke Park uh, and also not been fit enough to take your place in the lineup for the 1979 mm. European Cup final obviously a huge moment in your career where does Seville rank amongst all of that? Uh, I, th- I think Seville would be top of the list yeah absolutely The um, it was to do with um, uh, you're in the final you're in the final of the um, UEFA Cup it would be a trophy it would be the first European trophy since uh, since uh, Jock Steen's days, that would have been fantastic for us. And not for one minute would we start to compare ourselves uh, with the 67 side. That was European Cup and that was the, the, you know, the first British side ever to win the European Cup. Sensational. And, uh, but really to win, the, to win the trophy, to take that back. And particularly on that evening as well too, with 75,000 Celtic fans descending upon Seville. Not one arrest in the, during, the, the, during proceedings. And for people still to come up to me now and was saying, I was at Seville, it's still one of the great uh, days of my life. I think probably maybe they might mean the journey to Seville as much as anything else. Their own particular journals geographically getting there mm-hmm. and their own journeys in terms of, um, of the matches that were played during that time. Blackburn Rovers and, um, and Liverpool coming to mind immediately. But uh, yeah, really, that, that, would be, that would be top disappointment in, in football. Yeah, I was in Seville, I'll never forget it, but I still can't watch that game back. It's just, Absolutely, it's just not at all. Just as we're starting to, to close things out, Mom, two quick fire questions if you don't mind. One, if there was one decision you could make differently from your time at Celtic, what would that be? One decision to make d- uh, differently? Ah, oh, heaven's sake. I mean, it does make me laugh, you know, when people are talking about their lives and say, have you any regrets? And they all say, well, no, no, they don't. Well, no, sorry, I've got about 15,000. Um, and that's just for the one day. Well, I mean, if you could, if you could turn the clock back, yeah, I would um, maybe, much as we needed him, maybe with Bobo Baldy being on the, a yellow card going into extra time. Sometimes, you know, Bobo would uh, he could be a bit reckless in many aspects. You might think about maybe taking him off in the game because it was going to go into penalties. I wouldn't be sure that Bobo might score one for you. So that's been unfair, really, in many aspects. But if you if you really start to think at the time, then perhaps that that's the case in Bobo, and the game might go to penalties, and we might we might win it. I'd never really thought about the penalty kicks all the time. I'm thinking we only won it before penalties because we had had a penalty shootout, I think, against Valencia a couple of years ago. Yeah. Didn't go so well, no. so I wasn't worried. And then when Bobo does get sent off in the game, you think, well, maybe maybe we will take a chance with penalties because there's that not there's not that long left. But in sliding doors moments, I think if you're talking about it, if you you know if things to do over again, there'll be two. 
uh, we would uh, we would win the UEFA Cup and we would win the um, and we would beat um, we would have beaten Motherwell in the uh, in the game in, mm-hmm. in my last season there. So those are two two big moments moments where you're really proud of the team, uh, Seville, the conditions, the extra time, everything, and we have to come back and try and score a load of goals against Kilmarnock on the following Sunday when we have got almost zero energy you know yeah. and the players come on and perform like the way they did as well too and for us to lose the league by a goal or something like that there that was that was tough to take so overall some some fantastic memories obviously some moments you'd love to change yeah and uh, and if there's moments of it taking players off or on yeah yeah it would be not one specific thing don't please don't hold up that bobo thing as 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 as, as a case because he'll get to hear about it and he will make his way back and he will be very angry with me. Only joking. So um, no, lot, I'm I'm sure that there are loads of things not just at Celtic but at other football clubs. Um, when I was at Aston Villa, for instance, we were in the League Cup final against Manchester United. We had a goal. We got a penalty in the first minute of the match or second minute of the game. Vidic, Manchester United centre half, should have been sent off the pitch. Wasn't sent off, stayed on the pitch. The referee made up his own rules in the game. And uh, probably because he saw Alex Ferguson staring at him greatly. <laughs> I don't know. But um, so that's a moment then you think to yourself you could, uh, could change because we could have won that cup with the energy that we had in the team and the running power we had with Villa. That would have been nice. So, yes, there's, you know. As if if I could keep going for another three hours, I might come to something really positive. I think, uh, <laughs> I think we've covered all fifteen thousand that you'd, you'd mentioned. Finally, Martin. Um, final question: If you can sum up your time at Celtic in, in one or two lines, how would you do so? That's extraordinary. A real privilege to manage the football club. Genuine privilege to be to be in charge of the time that I had, and for people still to talk about Seville as being a a, a great experience. Obviously, we've lost the game. To me, it hurts really badly. I st- still will do until I'm, I'm, I'm finished in this planet. And uh, what extraordinary time. Loved it. And uh, really probably summed up by my wife, who thought that uh, this was the most beautiful time in, her, in my managerial time. She loved it. She loved Glasgow as a place. And, um, yeah, so if she enjoyed it, yeah, it must have been okay. Yeah, and a great place for us to finish off for today, Martin. Martin, thanks for being so kind with your time and for sharing some stories of a life in football with us here at the Celtic Exchange. It goes without saying that we wish you every success with the book on days like these. And if it's anything like the success you had throughout your football career, then a new life as an author surely awaits. Thanks, <laughs> thank Martin. you, Nod. Thank you very much indeed. Network.